gorgeous weather today. Isn't it perfect? It is absolutely perfect. Actually, it's not. It's cold for May. But let me tell you, last week it would have been perfect. It would have been ideal because one of the great rites of spring in the Philadelphia area happened last week. The Broad Street Run. The Broad Street Run, and actually I think we had two or three people in the congregation who ran it. I haven't ever been able to run it because, well, it happens on Sundays. But last week it was 80, 85 degrees, hot and humid. Today, barely 50, overcast, perfect running weather, except for the wind. If we could have just flipped the weeks, everything would have been ideal. A number of years ago when I was living in Florida, I ran a half marathon, the Space Coast Half Marathon, Cape Canaveral. That's the Space Coast. That's what they call it. That's how they market themselves to get people to visit basically nothing but strip mall after strip mall and a hotel on the beach after not so nice hotel on the beach. Space Coast, quote unquote. The day started like this, actually. I thought it was a miracle for South Florida in late October. Overcast, nice little breeze, nice and cool. By mile six, mile seven, I knew that was not going to be the case. The clouds lifted, the sun came out, and every footstep I thought was going to be my last. Tried to drink that Gatorade, tried to replenish. By the time I got to mile ten, I just thought, this is it. I'm done for. And then I took the single best drink of water that I have ever had in my life. I cannot tell you how refreshing it was. Now, I probably shouldn't have finished the race because I did finish the race and those last three miles were painful in a different way. I actually gave myself what I thought were shin splints. In fact, a hairline fracture of my lower left tibia. So in some ways, that energy from that water, that refreshment wasn't the wisest thing, but I still was able to finish that race. And I remember that drink of water more than any other drink of water I've ever had in my entire life. Because I felt like I was dying of thirst, and it gave me what I needed. What that drink of water was to my body, that recharge, that sense of recreation, that sense of being reset. That's what I want to talk about today here with forgiveness and love. The effect that forgiveness can have in our spirits just in the same way that replenishing water had its effect on my body. The old cliche goes... To err is human, to forgive is divine. Now, the way that I understood that for many years is a way actually I didn't agree with so much, that we were sort of down here as human beings, sort of lowly, all we did was screw up a lot, and then way up here was God. That was God's power to forgive. We were separate down here. I don't see it the same way anymore. I don't see that forgiveness as something foreign to ourselves. I see it as something native to ourselves. One of the ways that we talk about God here at Wellsprings from our DNA, from our core convictions, is that we can come to know the divine by living fully, loving generously, and being who we are called to be. I'm going to focus on that loving generously today, that divine spark that is inside each and every one of us. That word divine means, for me, not a noun, not a thing, not a person, not a being, but a deep, inborn capacity of all of us to be as creative as we can be. Deeply creative. This is what forgiveness allows us to do. 
to create and to recreate and to reset and to know a different, deeper relationship with reality. That is part of learning to love generously and know that divine that is in our midst. It's like if you've ever seen a painting, a painting that exposes you to the world in a new way, and you'll say, I haven't looked at a flower. I haven't looked at a person. I haven't looked at a profile. I haven't looked at a building in the way that this painting allows me to look at it. That's what forgiveness can help us learn to do. To say, I haven't looked at my life in this way yet. And to know that we can be replenished. That is related to Sun and to Jin's story from Lost. That is Sun on your right, or my right, Jin on my left. They are a couple who comes to the island, the downing of the plane, Oceanic 815, that crash lands on this mysterious island out in the middle of nowhere. They arrive completely estranged from each other, their marriage on its last legs. How they got there is we learn one little step at a time, one wrong thing happening and another wrong thing happening to the point where ultimately they barely speak to each other. Son, she is from one of the most powerful families in South Korea. Her father, an absolutely ruthless businessman who controls a huge conglomerate that makes cars, and he does so illegally. Jin, an aspiring person from the lower classes who meet, they meet accidentally. They marry against all odds. It seems to be storybook. It seems to be fairy tale. Except Jin is hired by Sun's father. Sun learns something shameful about Jin's past. And in an amazing irony, she borrows money from her father to pay off the man, excuse me, the woman who's going to blackmail Jin to expose this secret. Sun's father, ruthless as he is, says, okay, you can have the money. And then to Jin, he brings him up from the factory floor where he's given him a job and said, you're going to go to work for me directly. He makes him into an enforcer, a man who commits violence to get son's father's business deals done. Jin, so ashamed of what he has become, begins to hide himself away from his wife. He comes in with blood on his hands, literally on his hands, not telling his wife what has happened and runs into the bathroom and becomes silent. He hides himself away. One step and another away from each other. Son eventually learns English because she is going to leave him. She has an affair with the man who teaches her English. Their marriage is hanging on by a thread when the plane goes down on the island. They are the most unique of the main characters on the island because almost everyone arrives there damaged or broken in some way. But they arrive there damaged and broken together <laughs> and in their facing of what they need to face. Because whatever the island is, I've talked about this, it's a place where you've got to face your stuff. They have to face their stuff together. They have to learn to work it out. Their forgiveness does not happen instantaneously. It happens in stages. It takes multiple seasons. It's not into season four until the place comes where all their stuff is really revealed and they can feel the hurt, they can feel the betrayal of each to the other, and then finally start to forgive each other. This facing of difficulty, this facing sometimes of our brokenness, is only where true forgiveness can start. 
in one of the first images we see of Sun's life when she was a girl in one of the flashbacks that constitutes so much of Lost, we see that she has broken a beautiful and very costly glass ballerina that she is playing, list, playing with carelessly as a young girl. It drops from her hands. It falls to the floor. She tries to sweep it up and hide it. And her father, as ruthless as he is, finds it in the trash, brings it to it, shakes the bag. Did you break this son? She scared lies. And he says, knowing full well that it was her who broke it, tell me it was you who broke it or I will have to fire the maid because it must be her fault. Jin does not fess up and her father makes someone else suffer to teach son a lesson. That image, the glass ballerina, that's like all of our lives from time to time. Everything breaks in some way. It's how we deal with it that matters most. Without forgiveness, everything just stays broken. Hemingway wrote these beautiful words. Life breaks us all inevitably. And some of us can be even stronger at the broken places. It is our attitude to what breaks that matters most. I wanted to give you an example of this today. And so I... I need uh, two volunteers for this. Can I get one volunteer? All right, I got two. Michael, first. I'm going to ask you to grab this glass right here. Bring that back to your seat. Watch out there. Wendy. Yeah. Now, you see that one? That's a little easier there. And actually, you know what? If you want to refill, you can take this too with it. You can grab both. Pretty easy to carry that. I had a friend of mine, a man who was a counselor in South Florida. He was a Lutheran pastor. He had sort of been it all and done it all. He had been a parish minister. He had been a counselor. He had started a church. He had done all kinds of things over the years. And even though he was a Lutheran, he really didn't buy the doctrine of original sin that were actually originally broken. But because he had been a counselor and a confidant of so many people over the years, so many people over the years... He had heard a lot. And those two glasses related to one of the most important things that he taught me when I knew him, when my own first marriage was coming to an end. And he said this out without judgment, but he said it very directly to me. He said the problem with so many young people when they get married or they commit to each other is that they kind of think they're like, and this is my image, not his, like that glass, Michael, that you had to carry very carefully and you're still holding. Thank you very much. Now, one thing I didn't mention, that's a really expensive glass, too. That's really, really expensive. So, you know, that was given to us as a gift. Don't drop it. Now, you also see, you also see that was filled all the way to the brim. This is how he said too many people go into significant relationships. Expecting things to be perfect. (laughs) Expecting things to be, you know, costly and nice. And expecting things to hold all they can. He said, when in reality, most of us enter relationships... Kind of like that just ordinary drinking glass there. Half full, those at Target, and I thought that one. But you see, that isn't filled all the way. He said that if we could expect and understand, this counselor did, this friend of mine, if we could understand that all of us enters our relationships, significant or otherwise, much more like that glass than that one, 
we can make a lot of progress. If we expect that as we enter relationships, it's supposed to be like that one over there, all you can do is spill some of that off or get careless and fall to the ground and break it. Basically, this, what he was saying is, expect imperfection. (laughs) Expect imperfection and you can grow. Expect perfection and you will only be disappointed. This is where love and forgiveness comes in. Love and forgiveness can help us work with that half-empty, still valuable glass, not as pricey as that one, and recognize that we're going to pour some of that off and that glass may even break. We can have a glass like it, and that's why I gave you that to refill. We can refill that one. That is what love and forgiveness helps us do. One of my favorite wedding readings that I use over and over again, the wedding liturgy that I do when I do marriages and services of union, is this from Kierkegaard. In love, everyone gets to start from the beginning. In love, everyone can start from the beginning. This is Sun and Jin's story on the island, that they can learn again that they can start. In their moments in season four, where the whole truth comes out and there's no more hiding. They recognize they cannot go back to the beginning, but they could start again here today. They admit to each other that because of what they know now, they are not the people they were back then. And that's a good thing. The wisdom and the love of their forgiveness has made them learn that they can start again today they can start again today and become reset they move from a past tense brokenness of being stuck in the past being stuck back there to recognizing each other as they are and loving each other as they are as imperfect as they are and knowing the full truth and the wisdom they don't get a do-over what happened happened but through forgiveness they get the liberty of starting again Now, not all relationships make it. I know that in my life. Some of you know that in your lives. Sometimes it is just too far to go and things have to end. It is difficult. It is painful. But there is such a different way of things ending, even with forgiveness, so that we can move into that next part of life, even on our own, Recognizing in that great image of the Buddha that when we hold resentment against another person for a very long time, when we hold resentment against a person for a very long time, it is like we pick up a white hot rock and we're going to chuck it at them and we're going to make them suffer. We're probably going to miss, but we know one thing for sure, our own hands are going to get burned. When we can let go at the end of something, it is not just about the letting go of what was in the past. We can turn to face what is here and what is now and allow our lives, our spirits to be reset. This is a kind of unsentimental, sometimes very difficult forgiveness. But I believe it is one of the most powerful realities in our lives. Take a look at all the conflicts around the world. Just pick one today, Israel and Palestine, the Israelis and the Palestinians. I must tell you that I believe the only way forward is forgiveness. 
It is not something sentimentalized. It is not something easy. But it is the only realistic way that they will find a way to live together unless they want to continue killing each other forever. I don't expect that they love each other very much or ever will, or at least for a while. But at least if their love, the Israelis for other Israelis, the Palestinians for other Palestinians, will recognize that there is too much brokenness on both sides, that is the way forgiveness will begin. Some of us remember the story of the, um, the nickel mines atrocity. Remember that here, not too far from here, that Amish country school that was attacked by someone who killed children? The worst crime we can think of. In those days after, that Amish community that was affected, that was so deeply wounded, they made public and private demonstration of forgiving the man who committed that atrocity. And they reached out in love to his family. Seemingly almost a superhuman thing. But they did it because they know what is true for all of us, whether it's an atrocity like that or whether it's something closer to our own hearts, the ways we can wound each other, is that forgiveness does not obliterate your painful past Forgiveness keeps your painful past from obliterating you. That is what forgiveness can do. It can help to reset our lives. This is one of the consistent themes over and over again. It's one of the most wild things on Lost. It's sci-fi, it's quantum physics, it's theoretical, it probably has no basis in reality whatsoever. But it's one of the coolest part. Things shift through time all the time. And the characters are always wondering, how can we reset this? How can we bring it back to a moment in which things are such that we are able to grow? It keeps the story absolutely crazy with the twists and turns. But really what it's all about is not about sci-fi nuttiness or time being unstable. It hits close to home. Forgiveness is one of the ultimate ways that we can learn to reset our lives. Think of it like a broken bone. That bone is broken. The question is, how do we heal it? We can reset it, start to put it together, know that it will take some time for it to fuse again. But it has that power to go from the past tense of its brokenness to the present tense of its beginning healing. On this Mother's Day, I wanted to share with you one of my favorite mother-child stories. This is not a chicken soup for the soul kind of story. This is not a Hallmark holiday Mother's Day kind of story. It's the story of Jay McInerney. Do any of you remember him? Bright Lights, Big City from the 1980s. Story of excess and young men and young women living in Manhattan and making too much money and putting most of it, unfortunately, up their noses. Jay McInerney, after his success had come, when his books weren't selling much anymore and he had broken his own life and been broken, went back home as an adult with his tail between his legs. He went back home because his own mother, who was this sainted woman in this community of Connecticut that they grew up in, who was this absolutely sainted person, she was dying of cancer. And he thought, well, perhaps as many of us do from time to time, if I don't have any place to go, at least at home, they have to take me in. And he went back. Without anything else to do, he was with his mother day after day after day. 
recognizing what he thought was the absolute distance between the brokenness of his life and how pristine, how pure, how perfect, how good her life had been. He felt his black sheepness incredibly real. One night he was up with her, up with her as the end was coming, up with her giving her ice chips into her mouth, almost a form of communion, just trying to give her something so she wouldn't feel that incredible thirst. One point, Jay McInerney's mother woke up. Jay's father had gone into the other room to get some sleep. He was exhausted. Seeing that her husband was not around, Jay McInerney's mom said, I have to tell you something I have never told anyone else Anyone else? Many years ago, we had a friend of the family, a couple that your father and I were very, very close with. And the man in the couple, he and I had an affair. Only he and I knew about it. We ended it. I never told your father. But it has stayed with me every day since how much I put on the line and how much I risked. Jay, I want you to know this because I need to tell the truth to someone before I die. She told the story and she went back. And Jay McInerney felt closer to his mother than he had ever felt before. He knew his mother not as an icon or an image of perfection, like the perfect glass, like that one in the back with the scratches on it that's only half filled. Imperfect like all the rest of us. Committing mistakes, sometimes really egregious like sometimes the rest of us do. He experienced with the great Christian theologian, Reinhold Niebuhr, the author of the Serenity Prayer said, when he said that the final form of love is forgiveness. His presence allowed his own mother to forgive herself for what had happened many years ago. It recreated their relationship at the very end and forged a bond between the two of them that gave them a wonderful understanding of each other. More true, more real, more wise than what they had had before. Well, the thing is, forgiveness is not just in the past. Forgiveness is not just an act that we undertake about something that happened long ago. Forgiveness and becoming a forgiving person, more than anything else, allows us to experience the horizon of our lives differently. It's different from moving from forgiveness as an act towards becoming forgiving as a virtue. Now, some of you know the name Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and all that. He tells a story that many years ago, many years ago, he was riding on a subway car in New York City. It was a long day, end of a long day. He had been teaching. He had been leading. And on this subway car, there was this man with these two kids. And the kids were insane. Running around, bothering everyone on the train, creating havoc creating noise, messing with each other, messing with other people. And Stephen Covey felt himself getting angrier and angrier and angrier until finally he just got up and went over to the man 
And he said, would you please do something about your kids? They're annoying me and they're annoying everyone. The man looked up from a daze. And he said, we just came from the hospital where their mother died. I don't know what to do. And he burst out in the middle of that subway car crying. This is what being a forgiving person is all about. We all experience stress. We all experience at times, as pleasantly so, other people's brokenness. But Stephen Covey tells this story because he knows there's a different and deeper way to live. Imagine if he might have gone up to that man and said, Hey, your kids are out of whack here. Is there any way that I can help? That distance between what we feel and what the facts of the situation are, the difference and the distance between what we experience and learning to ask the questions of life is what helps us reset our relationship to reality. When forgiveness becomes the final form, the deepest form, the most spirited form of our love, we might imagine ourselves in a situation like that. And maybe it's just a rotten family with rotten kids. But you know what? Maybe it's people on the worst day of their lives. And we as forgiving people can see them for who they are and who they need us to be. When forgiveness is the final form of love, it is like one of those Escher paintings. You know, where things twist and turn and the beginning is the start, and excuse me, the start is the end and the end is the beginning and everything flows each into the other. When forgiveness is the final form of our love, paradoxically, wonderfully, forgiveness also helps us go right back to the beginning again, to reset our lives, to know amazingly that in love, all of us can begin again. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Spirit divine within us all, may we not aspire to you as something foreign or hostile to us, but know that the higher, deeper, true self is always within us. May we cultivate practices and ways of being, living, loving, so that we are able to reset our lives and be reset and know that creation is ongoing in our midst that it is not finished far ago, far away. But right here, right now, we cannot change what we have done. We cannot change what has happened to us. But in the way of forgiveness and deeper love, we certainly can change the meaning of it. And through that meaning, we can find a deeper, more wonderful more graceful wholeness in this life. Amen.